Hi, I'm Lisa Moore, one of the pastors here at GT Church in Victoria, BC. Welcome to our podcast. All of the content you'll find here is meant to point you to Jesus and to encourage you in your journey wherever you're at. Enjoy the message. It is Baptism Sunday. It's exciting to be here. It's a good day to be in church. Amen. Uh, my name is Lucas. Like uh, Pastor Andy introduced me, I'm really excited to be preaching. If you're new, welcome to church. So happy you're here. Um, let's just get the elephant out of the room. My shirt's colorful, okay? <laughs> That's it. That's all you got. Yeah. It's bold and it's beautiful. I like it. Um, I always get so much sass whenever I wear this shirt. Like so many remarks from so many people. Um, but I, it's good. I like it. I can handle it. It's the burden I bear. It's all good. Um, no, me and my wife decided that we wanted to manifest great weather. We want spring and summer to actually show up. And if we got to wear a shirt, and if I got to do this for that to happen, me and Trina will, will take up that on for you, okay? For you in the city. Amen. We're in week number four of uh, the series called Questions Jesus Asked. Um, really, question number four. We're, we've just kind of been tracking through all these different questions and these specific responses and interactions that Jesus has with different people. It's been really interesting to hear the different things Jesus will ask. Because he's all, he's all knowing, but he, he knows what he's saying, but he's asking a question for a specific reason. So to get underneath, that's been really fun. We started with kind of like the ultimate question, Pastor Andy kicked us off, and then it was kind of a, a, a difficult question, a hard question, and now today it's kind of an awkward question. Truthfully, it is. Like, when, you, when I say it, even when we were saying it in our sermon prep time, like, everyone was like, that's a funny one. Who's going to preach that? And that question is, who touched me? And so there's just, I don't know, for whatever reason, I felt like there was some funny connotation around that or odd connotation. And I get it. It is kind of, it's kind of an awkward question. Um, and when he even, at, when Jesus asks it, it kind of comes out in an awkward moment. Like, and you'll see it as we break it down. Uh, awkward questions, though, come all the time, don't they? Like, we, we get these all the time. And so awkward questions, we're not... This isn't unobvious to us. Even this morning, as I actually put on my clothes and got dressed not wearing this, as I went to come to church, my wife, as lovingly as she could, asked that awkward question, is that what you're wearing, right? (laughs) You know that? And you're like, I think it is. Is it not? You know, and then you have to have that conversation. And and then she's like, get the flower shirt. Okay, really funny, though. I have to just pick on Andy and Lisa for a second. I have heard Lisa ask Andy this question as he's walking towards the pulpit. So, like, you know, I poke fun of dreams, but really, like, it's just, wives are trying to help us, you know? It's, it's that funny question, and you're like, I think it is. Is it not? You tell me. Like, we get awkward questions all the time, and they come in different forms. They come in different ways, and, and depending on who you are and who you're talking to, any, this question could, like I said, potentially sound strange, and ultimately... Whether you think of a funny interaction you've had, whether you think of that old hymn, there's an old hymn he called He Touched Me, I won't sing it for you. Uh, the truth is, we find ourselves in a really powerful story. Um, you, can, you can find the story in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and all three of the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, it's, it's an interesting, interesting exchange in the way Jesus interacts, because he's just preached the Sermon on the Mount. He's healed people. He's actually, uh, before this, this moment has even happened, he's already like cast demons out of people. So Jesus was like kind of popular, like people knew who he was. You'll see in this scripture that there was actually a crowd waiting for him. And so Jesus has some fame, some notoriety, so it's happening here. And he comes into this moment to to Capernaum where he's going to begin to do a lot of his ministry. A lot of scholars will say that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, taught in Jerusalem, 
but he ministered in Capernaum. And so this is where we see him, him healing and loving people and encouraging people. And, and, and it really shows out in this scripture. So we are in Luke chapter 8, verse 40. The scripture will be on the, on the back. Or there's a blue Bible in front of you if you want to follow along. I believe it's page 840 that we are at. It says this in verse 40, starting in verse 40 of chapter 8 in the book of Luke. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come in his house, to, excuse me, to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Here's this question. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she could no longer go unnoticed, came trembling at, excuse me, trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. She told why she had touched him and how she'd been healed instantly. Then he said to her, and if you're underlining, if you're reading out of your own Bible, this is a great spot to do it. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. The question, who touched me? The real question Jesus is asking is, who is bold enough, who understands, who believes enough, who is bold enough to believe in reaching out to touch me? Who understands that if you just get close to me, if you'll just show that action, that reaction, if you'll just come and touch and reach out, everything can change. Everything can change. Now, let's touch on the obvious for a second. Luke's gospel, he, he's, a, he's a doctor turned, turned church planter. He's always got all these little details, and he's always noting these specific geographical areas. He's always talking to people, and he's referencing people so that if you were living in this time, you could actually go and find the people Luke mentions and actually have a conversation with him. Like, he can't help himself, guys. Like, he just, details are his thing. So when you read Luke and Acts, every detail matters. Again, verse 40, it said, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. All were waiting for him. Verse 42, the crowds almost crushed him. Verse 45, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. F five verses, three references to how many people were there. Jesus is right in front of everyone, yet, the only, yet only the woman with the heavy sickness, right? Yet only the woman with the burden, with this anguish, reached out. Like, there's a big crowd. Jesus is here, and only one person had the courage to reach out. All these people are around. Only she did it. She, she, she reaches out this beautiful touch that also encompassed her fighting heart. And I think we assume if Jesus was just right here in front of me, everything would be different for me, right? If Jesus just came to church and he, and he stood there and worshiped, then my faith would be so different, Right? I'd believe, I wouldn't have as much doubt, whatever it is. If Jesus would just do this, or if I could just see him this way. Friends, there was a massive crowd and only two people have asked for help from Jesus. Every person in the crowd had the opportunity to touch him. Was she the only woman with this? No, no. Like, every person in the crowd had an opportunity to touch him, to reach out, but only one claimed the privilege and only one experienced the healing. And so in a crowd of many, only one had the courage. And like Andy said this last week at Easter, you can be in close proximity to Jesus and yet never really experience him. Man. And 
we just continue to come back to this kind of scriptural text like we saw in the road to Emmaus and here again, you can be right up close to him, people pressing up against him and yet the intentionality, the reaching out. There is a hard truth, I think, in this chunk of scripture that is apparently much older than I think we give it credit for. I think we often as preachers like to suggest this is like a Western kind of world, 21st century problem. But seeing it here, and honestly, Andy kind of referenced it last week and it really spoke to my heart. I believe our busyness has become our biggest spiritual burden. Hmm. I really believe that our, our busyness, the fact that we are so busy has become the wall that we cannot break down in our walk with Jesus. You honestly, we, we have to take a self-inventory here and ask, have I become so busy I cannot make time for Jesus? I can't reach out to him? Not even when I'm desperate and broken and hurting? I'm so busy that I can't just t- ask my spouse to come here for a moment before they go to work and say, can I pray with you? I know you got a big day. Am I so busy that I don't go to small group any week? I'm in one, but I don't really attend one. I'm so busy that I can't, even if I get to group, I don't want to take off my mask and be vulnerable and honest. Don't even get me started about Sabbath. Sabbath? Who's got time for that? It's literally why he made it, but, right? Like, we're so busy. We're so busy. I find it so interesting because we were a culture just two years before COVID, four years, whatever it is, we were... Three years ago, we were like, we were like these people who were like, seize the day, carpe diem. We're getting it tattooed on our bodies. It's like in our Instagram bios, right? Buying necklaces all the time. It's like, this is carpe, seize the day, capture every moment, take everything, never take a moment for granted. And now we're like, ah, who needs the day? <laughs> right? right? Like we just have totally flipped recently. You used to be like YOLO, right? Like you only live once. We, had, we used to get FOMO. We'd miss out. Now we have JOMO. Like, joy of missing out. We don't care. We don't. Did you see there was a party? Don't care. Couldn't care less. I had Cheerios and watched Netflix, and that was what I wanted, right? I think it's really interesting. We, we, we want to be busy. We, 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 we want, like, it's a weird thing where we, we either want to look busy, right? Or, like, we want to be busy or, at minimum, look busy. Because busyness often is equated with success, And everyone is so busy in this moment, yet two people don't take the moment for granted. They reach out to Jesus. They come to the healer. They ask for help. They are desperate for anything that God can do. I was reading this this article this week. The presence of extreme busyness in our lives may point to deeper problems. A pervasive pervasive people-pleasing in us. A restless ambition. Even just meaningless. Meaninglessness. Truthfully, the greatest danger with busyness, is what he wrote, is that there may be greater dangers that you have never have had time to consider. I thought that was so interesting. Our busyness has become our biggest spiritual burden. For many of us, this is the case. Jesus is on his way to heal someone. Remember that. That's how the story started. A man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and said, my daughter is dying, help me please. And so Jesus is walking on his way, and then the woman reached out. And now he goes and has an encounter and he's trying to have a conversation with this woman. A, guy's di- a girl's dying. Imagine being Jairus where you'd be like, hey, I know like, she's hurting, but I got to you first, man. Take a line, lady. There's a line. Grab a number. Can we go back to my house, please? Like, come on. Like, my daughter is dying. Like, 
I'd be, you know, like, come on, what are you doing? And he says, it's okay. Jesus was never busy. He never ran to places. He walked. Luke actually will often describe this. He'll say, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. We have to take from Jesus what he's trying to show us. He wasn't busy. He never ran around. He was slow and careful and intentional with every move and motive. But he is busy here. He's on his way. He's, he, like, he, he had important things to do is what I mean. But he took the time to not just identify this woman. That wasn't the goal of saying, who touched me? He's not trying to identify her to the group. He's actually trying to bring identity to this woman, not identify this woman. There's a big difference. And you're gonna see, let's, let's read it again. I, want us to, I don't want us to miss this. Who touched me? This is verse 45. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pre- pressing against you. But Jesus said, no, 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 someone touched me. I know that power has gone out for me. Then the woman, right? This is how Luke describes it. Seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him, and now she'd been instantly healed. Then, and this is verse 48, which is one of the best. Then he said to her, daughter, daughter, not woman, didn't use her name, didn't know her name maybe, daughter, your faith has healed you, go in peace. Friends, whenever you read healings in the Bible, you have to understand the context in, in, in which it's being spoken. Like, like this healing, like often people who were sick, like sick for a long time, and specifically it was showing in a physical way, would be ostracized from community because it was assumed that they had sinned or their parents had sinned or their grandparents had sinned and had done something to make them unholy or unwell and that God would, couldn't heal them. So when the years it went on, it wasn't just that they were in pain. It wasn't just that they were afraid of never being healed. They were alone completely ostracized and isolated from community, completely put aside, the unwanted, the sick, the gross, the over there, the the unnamed. And here Jesus changes everything for her. He says, I see that you're afraid. I see that you feel alone. I can see your pain. And Jesus takes a moment and gives her the greatest gift that she actually needed, right? Like touching the cloak, touching the edge of the cloak, it said it, she was healed instantly. She wanted to leave quietly. She needed to get away. She wanted to get away. But Jesus had something better for her still. This is the best. Her body was healed, but her identity wasn't whole. That's what's different here. Life is not, he's like, life isn't about what you're doing. It's not just where you are. It's not just who you are. It's whose you are. And Jesus comes and says, hey, your faith has made you my daughter, my son. I see you. You trusted me as your father to heal you. And I'm telling you that you have an identity that was greater than, just, than you just thought. It's, there's so much more here happening than just a healing. He's placing an identity on her. You're part of the family of God. I see you. I know you. Daughter, your faith has been healed. Your faith has healed you. If you have kids, you know this sometimes. Like, I, I, I mentioned this about Georgia before. Like, we have a lot of nicknames for Georgia. Georgia, Georgia Porgia, G, G Bear, Georgie. Like, it just, the list goes on. And once you get, you know, when you're, when you're upset with her, it's Georgia Madeline, get over here right now, right? The only reason we give full names, it's not for documentation, is to get mad at them, right? That's why we do it. Georgia Madeline Bonnet, here, now. Yesterday in the Bonnet house was a rough day. We had a lot of meltdowns like oh my gosh I can't even it was at the end of the day me and Trish looked at each other and we're like well that was that was fun right 
It was just, it was, we went baseball and this and the concession stand and the Cheetos and I didn't have enough Cheetos and they wanted to go to the playground, but there was too many people and then it was bath time. Oh, dear Lord, bath time, right, parents? Why is it so hard to have a bath? You stink. You need this, we need this. The whole family needs you to in that tub in Jesus' name, right? If she didn't have a bath, she would have gone to baptize today, right? Come on, somebody. Just kidding, just kidding. And she was just like so worked up like could not calm her down. And just both me and Trina, we, we often do this, where we have to just pick her up, bring her away, like hyperventilating almost in her just like, I can't get anything right today. And she's just crying and crying. And in that moment, we have to just speak over her who she is. Not just what she's done, not just her name, but the deeper identity that she carries, and that is that she is Molly and Trina's daughter. And there's nothing that could happen from this moment on that would change that, right? Daughter, let's wipe away your tears. Come close. You need to have a bath, right? And then you bring the truth. But speaking daughter over her, not just Georgia, not Georgia Madeline Bonnet. Daughter, I see you. I love you. Nothing could ever change that. You're my girl. Everything is going to be okay. You're not just about who you are. It's whose you are, church. Today, some of you came in here not uncertain of who you are, and I'm trying to tell you that there is a God who knows whose you are, that you are his, that you are made in his image, that he loves you and has a plan for your life. Maybe you didn't realize that coming in, that there is purpose beyond the plans that you have for yourself. There is a purpose God has for you, that you feel like all the love you've attained up to this moment is all that you could have. There is a greater love, a deeper love, a greater sense of meaning, and God wants to share it with you and show it to you through him giving you your identity, son and daughter of the Most High. That's it. It's the truth. He took the time not to identify her to the group, but to bring identity to her soul. It's so important we don't miss this, especially because the people who are in the tank today, they understand this, right? They get it. They're like, yeah, it's not about what I've done. It's about God and what he's done. That I'm not perfect, but I get in this tank declaring, I know whose I am. I belong to Jesus. No turning back, running towards him. You know, when you know who you are, life is so different. Life changes, life becomes more real, it becomes more powerful, and, and, and we see it happen day in, day out. Let's read this here in verse 49. This is the, kind of the last chunk of scripture. We're about to see baptism. This is all gonna come together, friends. This is verse 49. We keep reading the story because we don't know what's happened with Jairus and his daughter. While Jesus was still speaking, verse 49, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Ah, oh, it's too late. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Imagine getting that news. Verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, do not be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, verse 52, this is a key, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. Verse 53, they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead, But verse 54, he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. 
I find this so interesting. There's such a link between Jairus and the woman who has bleeding. There's a link. See, Jairus ran from his house and fell at the feet of Jesus, the Bible said. The woman who had bleeding reached out, touched the cloak, and then when she's called out, she fell at the feet of Jesus and began to talk to him. And I think there's two key things here that we need to take from these two people. First is this, that what we say to ourselves is more important than what others say about us. When it comes to faith, when it comes to believing, when it comes to hoping and seeing and and asking God and coming to him desperately looking for a miracle, we can kind of play this game where we have a negative self-talk, right? We've done it. We've come to prayer and ask for healing and still there's doubt in our heart or whatever it may be. Even for, for Jairus, I look at his story and it's like, sorry, man, she died. You missed it. Too late. Then he arrives to his house. Jesus says, no, no, it's okay. And still, I wonder how that walk was for him. Walking beside Jesus. I wonder how, how much doubt or, or not he had. Jesus tells him to believe, but he's still walking to a house where his daughter has just died. And then he gets there and what, what are people doing? They're mourning. They're wailing. And this was, honestly, this was a religious thing to do. They would start the grieving process and people would mourn for you and it'd be loud. And you said, stop it. This isn't a place of mourning. Stop that. And it's so funny, they go from mourning to laughing real quick, don't they? Your critics will do that, won't they? They'll go from one thing to the next because their heart's not there. It's not intentionally saying, I, there's a, I have something for you. It's not a word. It's not con- like a friend coming to console you. These people, that's not what they're doing. It's all for the show. It's all for the religious outcry. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I have come to bring life. Stop that. Stop wailing. So Jairus has all these emotions. He's been doubting. He's not sure. He's been told his daughter's dead. People are crying. Now they're laughing. All this conversation is happening. I got to say to you, what we say to ourselves and what others say about us cannot dictate our faith or our worship in Jesus. Do not let the words of others dictate your worship to God. He has a plan that sometimes is far beyond what we could hope or imagine. It far like outweighs the material and the, the normal what we see in earth. He is a supernatural God with power and ability far beyond what we could imagine. Believe, he says. Have faith, he says. I see your daughter. She is not dead. She is asleep. I'm about to do something that's going to change some stuff up in here. He's ready to go. And he's trying to tell Jairus, don't let the words of others, don't let anyone else, don't even let the doubt I know that is in your mind dictate what's about to happen here. For her, she came trembling at Jesus' feet. For 12 years, who knows the self-dialogue happening. They knew, I love this, they just knew if they got to Jesus, they had a chance. Don't let words or the up or the down from anyone else dictate what God's about to do. Let his words, son, daughter, let his words, she is not dead, she is, she is just asleep, right? Let his words dictate the steps that you're taking. And then finally, and this is what really has resonated in my heart all week, is, is that one, again, what we say to ourselves is more important than what we say, others say about us. And two, Coming desperate to God is not a weakness. And I think I've always viewed desperate, even that term desperate, just kind of in a bit of an odd way, in a wrong way. I had to ask God for forgiveness this week because their desperation turns into dependence on Jesus. 
And that dependence turns into the greatest miracle of their lives. Jesus defends the desperate and he honors the bold, church. And I think sometimes we're not desperate enough. Do you have a miracle, miracle you're praying for? Are you feeling lost and broken? Time to get desperate. Do you have a situation that you've been trying to act out in your own strength? Maybe it's time to get desperate in his strength. Have you been so busy that you haven't actually seen the other problems that have been creeping up in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships? Time to get desperate. Time to get desperate. Do you feel broken and shattered into little pieces? Have you made a mistake or you sinned that feels so uncorrectable? It's time to get desperate. He has a better way. He has a plan. He redeems, he reconciles, and he restores. That is our God. And we believe that. I know this sounds a bit cheesy, but please hear me. Please follow me here. When we believe that, truthfully, the impossible becomes the possible. This is the God we serve. He fights your battles. He knows your pain. Church, as a church, I need you to hear this. It is our hope and it is our joy, and I mean that when I say that, to walk with you through every valley. Not just celebrate the mountaintop. We do that. It's fun to do that. We're gonna celebrate in a few moments here of these powerful testimonies. We celebrate that mountaintop, why? Because we've walked through with you in the valley. Because we know where we've come from. We've seen the pieces shattered and we didn't know what to do and Jesus picked us up and put it back together, amen? That's why we get so excited about baptism. That's why when, when people come out of the tank, I want us to cheer and shout and clap and woohoo and holler because we know, some of us truly, one-on-one, -on -one, know the stories of the people in this tank. You're going to see a video that's gonna share with you some of the hurt, some of the pain, but we serve a God who has hope, who has purpose, who knows the story, and he got to finish it. It wasn't us. He finishes the story, and I love that. And that's why I wanna encourage you just as they're taking a step today, is there a step you could take to maybe be a little bit more desperate towards God, a little more dependent on God, a little more obedient on God, to God? Maybe for you, it's you need to get to small group this week. You've missed the last couple. That's okay. Set an alarm. You know what? Make an alarm for the day before. Make sure that day goes really well so that when you get to your time slot for small group, you're ready to go. When you go, be honest, be real, take off the mask, be vulnerable. Maybe for you, you need to call the church or call a friend or call your small group leader or your pastor and say, I could really use prayer, even just over the phone. I need prayer. Maybe for you, just like you would book off a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment or a haircut, right? You need to book off your lunch on Tuesdays at a time that allows you to get here to church for prayer. What would it look like rather than just like dreading it and not really praying all day and never really getting anywhere, but actually being like, no, no, hey, hey boss, I, I, need to get, I need to get somewhere today. Can I have a good hour for lunch today? Because on Tuesdays, I get to church. I pray with my church. I believe for more. I, I, we pray for miracles. We lay hands on each other and we believe for healing and hope and restoration. And I'm gonna make it a priority this week and the next week and the week after. We're about to watch a video, and this video is powerful. It's gonna share the stories of many 
Some you'll see in the tank in this service, some have already happened. Can I encourage you, put your phone aside, listen to every word, hear the cries, hear the heartbreak, but hear the hope. Hear, the, hear that the end of the story was not how the, start, the story started. That they have a testimony that's powerful, that resonates, that there's a God who sees them, that has called them out, that says, son and daughter, I love you, I'm for you. Guys, the baptism stories are so powerful because it's life change just happened right in front of us. And maybe for you today, you'll see a story, you'll watch that person get baptized and you'll realize your story isn't finished yet either. Amen? That your story is not done that God is still writing, that he's right here, that he sees you, that he loves you. And if you would just reach out, choose him, things can change. Heavenly Father, we love you. We know that we serve a God who is real, that you are powerful, that you are mighty, that you are strong and capable. And so God, we put every problem, every issue, every bit of busyness at your feet, just like Jairus ran to your feet, just like the woman ran to your feet, we come to you and we kneel at your feet, Lord, and we say, God, do what only you can do. God, we give you praise for the testimony and the power and the stories we're about to hear. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that you work on the inside, that you do transformation on the inside. We love you, Lord. We worship you. And everybody said, come on, everybody said.